I wish I'd had Scott Barry Kaufman as a professor when I went to college. Scott gives extra credit for daydreaming in his classes and grades students on their well-being. Scott is the scientific director of the Imagination Institute and the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania. The Imagination Institute's stated mission is to make progress on the measurement, growth, and improvement of imagination across all sectors of society. One of the ways they're doing this is by holding workshops with different groups of people, such as educators, evolutionary psychologists, stand-up comedians, and futurists, in order to learn how they use their imaginations in their work. In May, I participated in the Imagination Institute's two-day futurists retreat, which was held at Institute for the Future's Palo Alto headquarters, where I work as a research director. You can read my account of the experience by visiting Institute for the Future's website at iftf.org. This podcast episode features an interview with Scott on the morning of the second day of the retreat. Hi, Scott. So tell me, how did the Imagination Institute get started? Sure. So Martin Seligman, who is the founder of the field of positive psychology and um, studied, spent uh, a lot of his career studying what goes right with people. Um, Templeton Foundation has had funded him for a lot of his research. And um, Sir John Templeton, who was head of Templeton Foundation, um, thought of there's uh, not a lot of research on imagination and that there should be. It's a very understudied topic of investigation. And he um, proposed uh, to, to Martin that he start an institute um, on imagination and they would fund, give him $6 million to work on various projects relating to that. And he basically said, I don't know that much about, you know, imagination and creativity. I need to find, you know, a scientific director. And he, um, and his grad student, who Marie Fourviard, who's a good friend of mine, um, recommended me for the job. And um, and so I got the position. <laughs> and uh, and the, the and it, it dovetailed so nicely with the kind of work I was doing at the time. And uh, my book, Gifted, just had just come out on a redefinition of intelligence. And uh, my my three thinking of intelligence thought you know really needs to incorporate some of these other aspects of humanity and to to allow people to sh- showcase what they're really capable of achieving in life. It's not just um, these intellectual functions that are measured on these on the spot tests. So we um, started. Uh, so I came to Penn in 2014, and the, the purpose of the Imagination Institute is to foster. Uh, uh, new re- stimulate new research on the science of imagination and how it can be developed across all sectors of society. So we've been doing these retreats, such as you're in right now, the futurist retreat, uh, futurists, maybe <laughs> future, the futures. <laughs> I feel like I need to be poor to, for Stuart. Um, um, and uh, we're doing we're doing psychology. We're doing it. We did we did psychology education already. We're doing um, physics, engineering, comedy. Uh, medicine, these sorts of things, to really understand across specific fields how imagination operates. But we also have uh, good funding to fund researchers to come up with a new measure of imagination or a new test. And so we have uh, we're funding sixteen projects right now that are looking at various aspects that have not really given, been given that much appreciation or, um, or research funding within this, within uh, the scientific literature. Um, it's hard to get funding if you want to do a study on inspiration, for instance, or you want to do a study on um, social emotional. Uh, imagination. Why would it be hard? You'd be surprised. Uh, the ones that are easy to get funded are the are the other ones that have had like fifty years of of prior research on the topic. So it's safe bet for the NIH or something, you know. Um, 
cognitive scientists or you know visual cognition researchers who are not dealing as much with the messy humans you know uh, probably find it easier to get funding than um, than some of these uncharted territory uh, territories it really is an uncharted territory um, you know there has been uh, some good research like e Paul Tarns has done great uh, Frank Barron there's been great creativity researchers but we've been stuck with the same tests of, of creativity like how many uses are there for a brick you know for the past 50 years and um, you know, some of these might fail. You know, it's hard to get funded when there's a high risk, you know, but there's also a high potential uh, payoff as well. How do you measure imagination? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different methods. So I think that's what's uh, really uh, neat about these projects for funding is they, they showcase a, a diversity of different perspectives from um, using direct uh, uh, stimulation of the brain, <laughs> see if it can activate, uh, shut off certain parts of the brain, and doing so help you overcome blocks um does that work yeah it, it, there's there's evidence suggesting that it, it does mm -hmm. yeah that uh it, they they are these insight problems that no one can solve mm -hmm. um and when you after the 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 zapping of the brain sort uh -huh. of so to speak um people uh, much higher rates of people are able to solve them all of a sudden have you tried that yourself no i uh -huh. should i uh -huh. should so this is the transcranial stimulation that goes from one temple to the other? Not just your temple. That, they, they use the temporal lobe. That is true. Mm -hmm. But you can use it on any part of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and you can uh, turn down the juice, basically, the electrical activity in certain parts of the brain, turn up the activity in other parts of the mm -hmm. brain. You know, there's uh, theories that savants and uh, um, a lot of these prodigies are able to do these prodigious feats of, hum of, of, you know, of, of activity because they have uh, privileged access to certain parts of their brain and, um, and, and it also shows you know there's a trade-off you know perhaps in, mm -hmm. in the brain where you know they also have characteristics of autism and, and things like that. Have you found that people can develop their imagination like a muscle? Yes, and, and I should say there's a lot more techniques we're using to measure imagination than mm -hmm. just the TDS. That was mm -hmm. one example. New, new techniques, there's, um, there's uh, having people report during their day, their day contents of their daydreams, mm -hmm. um, and when they most have illumination of an idea. You know, this is a whole, we're drawing on a whole bunch of different methodologies. Isn't it difficult to come up with an objective way to measure imagination? I think the assumption there is that, you know, the brain is the brain, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same... Whether or not it's a eureka moment in the laboratory or a eureka moment that changes the world, the assumption there is that it's the same underlying machinery. You know, so if we, that we can understand one, we can start to build up to the other. So it's a difference in uh, not kind, but you know, quantity mm -hmm. um, of impact. But you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I really enjoy the essays by James Altucher, who I found out is a friend of yours, actually. One of the things that uh, he wrote about is that every morning when he wakes up, he writes down 10 new ideas or, or more. He keeps a list. And he said that that really helps him to like exercise that part of his imagination. What do you think of that? Well, it is good when you wake up in the morning to, uh, you know, don't, don't check your email as the first thing mm -hmm. to do. You know, as the first thing to do, it's better to sit down and write if you're a writer or, mm -hmm. um, or generate ideas. Um, we've, you've just gone through a whole eight-hour process of your brain. You know, you, that's how you can think of dreaming. An eight-hour process of, um, of your subconscious um, weeding out um, lots of ideas, sorting through your entire day and all sorts of connections and kind of weeding out the, the ones that, um, that are incongruent. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of our dreams seem so nonsensical, but, you know, our brain is has these random, has these patterns that, that I don't think are as random as uh, some people think, you know, that are kind of like getting it out, you know, and mm -hmm. sorting it out and being, you know, that's 
crazy, you know, um, is good and that, you know, we find consolidation process really helps um, people who are uh, like musicians, like muscle memory as well, or, or just um, consolidate memories. So you can wake up and work something that was hard the day before to do would be much easier the day after. And, and so I do like the idea of, of getting in the morning doing mm-hmm. that. And I find nine to, to 12 is, is like my prime um, operating, mm-hmm. you know. So what's your morning routine? What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Well, if, I make, if I'm inspired to work mm-hmm. on a project or something, I'll get up at 9 and get my cup of coffee mm-hmm. and, um, and just like work in the morning and, mm-hmm. uh, for like three straight hours or so. And then um, I feel like the rest of the day can be administration, not, not as heavy, you know, heavy duty sort of mm-hmm. um, things. But I, I do find that um, like getting up, being inspired, and then just going for it uh, is, is very useful. I mean, now, there are mornings where I, I'm not inspired to um when i say inspired i don't you know i don't mean like i would have to be like and totally motivated and inspired and like um I, but more of a like there's there is a ten, there is something to do that i'm working on mm-hmm. a project that i'm in the middle of yeah um and that's not always the case now i'm not always perpetually in a state of um an article i'm writing or something but if i'm in the in, in an article that is unfinished something that's unfinished i i wake up you know excited to 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 immediately make impact on that before um the day uh takes me away from myself. So the Imagination Institute has been going around meeting with different groups of people, right? I think you told me that last time you met with a group of evolutionary psychologists, right? Well, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Steven Pinker and Lita Cosmides, the founder of the field of evolutionary mm-hmm. psychology. What did you learn from them? It was very clear that the personality traits of these individuals, they're, they're very systems thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, they joked uh, about being uh, Aspie, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as kind mm-hmm. of they wanted to know um, what is uh, the underlining rule structure of the universe. I mean, that's what drove them to understand those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see how there'd be different fields of psychology that would be interested. Like clinical psychologists might be less interested about the rule, underlying rule structure of the universe, but more mm-hmm. about helping, you know, uh, a person who's suffering from a disorder or something but but these psychologists was very clear um they uh really liked uh problems that that um like big problems that uh, that is very clear uh could be solved and haven't been solved so they really like diving deep into unsolved problems and um and things that are uh questions that are unknown um there was a very very common theme that there was an obstacle to uh to creativity in academia um was this um uh, merging sort of um, uh, uh, like like free speech, you know. There's this kind of this emerging spirit on campus that they were complaining about. Where mm-hmm. um, you're not allowed to say anything anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have open, honest discussion about things that might make someone feel uncomfortable. And so uh, they they felt that as a huge impediment to to uh, creativity in the academy. And so yesterday and today, you've been meeting with futurists here at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto. What are your impressions so far? This group is very pro-socially oriented, yet it's an interesting combination of systems thinkers and pro-social orientation. It's like what you get when you combine the evolutionary psychologist with a pro-social mm-hmm. orientation. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like uh, I, I felt like a lot of common themes, I think I pointed this out yesterday, a lot of the common themes among people were very common themes among like our psychologists, our evolutionary psychologists, you know, of... Um, 
problems that need to be multiple possibilities, generate multiple possible, you know, it's just like generate multiple hypotheses of, of how the world could work and not, and having that objectivity there when you, when you formulate these ideas. But also, um, it's very clear that these individuals, um, the goals that they, they choose are more pro-social in nature. You know, like I want to figure out all the, uh, possibilities of, um, of helping a third world country, uh, people were start like an imagination, imagining a possibility that doesn't currently exist in that world. So there's actually a, a difference in in terms of like more of a possibility thinkers. There are more possibility thinkers mm-hmm. in, in here, whereas I think scientists tend to be more um, reality discoverers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm making up these mm-hmm. these things on the spot, no, but I, like I feel that, like no. I feel like that's the key difference. You know, mm-hmm. um, the drive for discover, reality discovering versus uh, possibility thinking. Um, they're they're not they're 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 not quite the same thing. So Scott, what are your hopes for the Imagination Institute in terms of how it could help make the world a better place? Well, the uh, I look at it as a, as a totality sort of issue, and these are all different pieces of a of a larger jigsaw puzzle sort of thing. So um, I do a lot of work with educators as well, and um, try to in, in influence uh, inspire teachers to. Uh, to take more of this research into account so that they can identify students in their classroom and see students in a different way than maybe they normally would have seen them. You know, the student who is daydreaming out the window, you know, instead of immediately immediately saying, you re- you know, to the parents, my, your child really needs to focus more on my course material. Kind of get over yourself a little bit as a teacher and, and, and be open to the possibility that the contents of those daydreams might be just as important to that person's future as um, the content of your brilliant life lecture that you're trying to get as a teacher. Um, the kids with ADHD, the kid with, you know, dyslexia, um, kids who think differently in general, um, kind of uh, building on their strengths. You've written a number of psychology books, haven't you? Um, I have. I edited um, a bunch of academic volumes, but um, I've also uh, written about three uh, for a popular audience. What's your most recent one? Most recent one is Wired to Create, mm-hmm. Unraveling the Mysteries of the Creative Mind. Um, should uh, um, I ordered some copies to come to this uh, institute today. So, But yeah, that came out in December. I co-authored that with a journalist, uh, Caroline Gregoire, mm-hmm. uh, writes for the Huffington Post. And um, that was great. We teamed up and she came up with lots of good you know, examples and stories. And I read a lot about the science. To me, that title suggests that some people are wired to create and others aren't. It's like a Rorschach test. Some people interpret it as uh, say, meaning we're all wired uh-huh. to create. And so I think it's, it has all those meanings. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're mutually um, exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, you can, we can say that uh, we all uh, fundamental human drive is to, uh, for self-expression and, um, and creation um, mm-hmm. um, of something that is meaningful to us. You know, we could say that's a, we're all wired for that. And mm-hmm. we talk about the imagination mm-hmm. brain network mm-hmm. as something we all have an imagination brain network. Some people use it more than others. Mm-hmm. So there is uh, individual differences as well. Some people um, do, um, and, and it could be not just through talent or genetics, but also could be through for opportunities and, um, and just uh, motivation and the way that people um find themselves in jobs where they start to just assume, just like get into this, like they're not exercising their imagination network and they're like, well, you know, that's just my life. And they just mm-hmm. accept it. So acceptance maybe might be another barrier. Yeah. The acceptance of non-imagination. To find out more about the Imagination Institute, visit imagination-institute.org. This has been an episode of the Institute for the Future podcast. 
Institute for the Future is a nearly 50-year-old nonprofit think tank in Silicon Valley that helps organizations and the public think about long-term future trends to make better decisions in the present. You can find out more information at iftf.org.